On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. DeFalcon and Dr. Dafashi of the Student Health Center and student Sam Litt to chat about optimizing your immunity in three simple steps. So we have a packed house today. Some new people excited to have all these folks here. I'm Lindsay Heck. I'm Eric Garrison. I'm Liz DeFalcon. I'm Sam Litt. And I'm David Dafashi. So let's dive into this. How does one optimize one's immune system while hopefully managing the effects of stress, which we know is an unavoidable part of life? And what are some of the behaviors that we can engage in to help make certain that our immune response and our immune health is as good as it possibly can be? Yeah, and we've had a really stressful phase of our lives across the board. So how does stress in particular impact our immune systems? There are a couple kinds of stress, you know, that we can think about. So we think about acute or time-mediated stress, which these are things like, if you think about it from an evolutionary perspective, if you're a caveman or woman and a saber-toothed tiger is running at you, your immune system gets revved up, right? So it's a time-mediated thing. You're running away from the saber-toothed tiger. If you fall down and cut your leg, your body has to be able to repair itself, and then you can keep pressing on. You know, that's like a good kind of stress. So today's day and age, that could be something like you have to give a public speech or you have to take a test. You know, it's, it's a good kind of stress. It kind of moves you along. It makes you do what you need to do, and then it's done and it's over with. You know, that boosts your immune system. But if you start to get into chronic stress, you think about how every day, day in and day out, you're constantly feeling revved up and you're wound up tightly and you're not able to manage that stress. Eventually, your immune system is always chronically on and so then it starts acting like inflammation. So then your body almost acts like it has some sort of inflammatory disease, you know, and it's not healthy. So you're dealing with chronic stress hormones, you know, your blood pressure is up, your stomach's in knots. There's lots and lots of studies out there on how chronic stress decreases your immune function and and makes you more susceptible to disease and infections and things like that. So there is one particular study that I think is interesting that if you're chronically stressed and you know, in this day and age, you think of things like you have a sick loved one at home, right? And you're just constantly taking care of that person. Things aren't going well, or you're like a refugee. You got displaced from your home, right? That's so stressful and you don't know how you're going to get through it, but you can do that in this environment as well. If you're always thinking that, you know, you never get a break, you're always on, you know, you're not doing well in classes or you think you're not doing well and not maintaining your social connections all you're doing is working all the time they looked at those kind of people and their immune responses and they found that if you give those people a flu shot you don't have the same you know kind of antibodies that you would if you were a happy healthy stress managed type of person so it does we know for sure that stress affects our immune system and decreases our ability to fight infections. Right. Without getting to the specifics of, you know, modulatable and endogenous immunity, you know, the B cells, the T cells, the macrophages, all the cells that are, you know, meant to target foreign bodies and mount an antibody response to a specific antigen. When that antigen doesn't exist or that foreign body doesn't exist, but the immune response is activated because of stress, those functions don't happen nearly as well. The macrophages don't to destroy foreign things as, as readily. Antibodies aren't made in the same quantities. So y'all, we know what a stress student looks like when they come to the counseling center. What does a stress student look like somatically when they come to health services? I would say that obviously they can look as varied as antibodies themselves. We like to say that, you know, you can sort of see somebody who's obviously experiencing stress, but you can't always, right? We talk about anxiety as sometimes being the result of excessive stress. And sometimes you may notice in somebody's demeanor that may appear anxious, but stress is a rather invisible thing, right? And and the, the effects that it's having on your humoral system or your blood pressure, those things aren't very easily measured. And so really in a lot of the studies, what stress is, is 
it's a hard thing to define. What exactly is stress, right? But I think the best definition is that persisting state which leads to less than optimal function, whether it's physical or mental. When I see patients come in stressed out, I mean, they, sometimes they can't put their finger on it, but they might say, I feel chest pressure or chest pain, right? And they're, I mean, that's a super worrisome thing. You think, oh my gosh, am I having a heart attack? Is there something wrong with my lungs? And it's a tightness, you know, and you're just, you're super worried. That makes you even more anxious or stressed. I see a lot of people that complain of just this vague, upset stomach. It may manifest as nausea or a burning sensation or increased reflux. Some people just, you know, they just come in, I don't feel well, you know, and we can't identify anything. They just feel maybe achy or just can't sleep well. So that Right, chronically fatigued. And so, you know, there's lots of different manifestations. And, and, you know, a lot of people, they know what they're experiencing at the time, but they can't put two and two together that, you know, your body is, is screaming out, you know, I'm physically dealing with all of this stress that you're kind of shoving down and you're not paying attention to. And so it definitely comes out yeah. physically. And to your point, Dr. DeFalcon, I think a lot of folks, when they are experiencing that level of stress, may be less apt to engage in activities or behaviors that would actually undo some of that stress. Like you said, sleep. We know that sleep deprivation depletes your serotonin levels, increases cortisol levels, increases blood pressure. And so to some degree, it's a bit of a vicious cycle, isn't it? Because you know, you're not sleeping, you may not be exercising, you may not be finding time to engage in nurturing relationships and all of those things. You know, once that stress wheel is set into motion, just seem to perpetuate themselves. So it's really important to remember that while stress is a, a part of our lives that we can't completely eliminate, some of the behaviors are behaviors that no matter how stressed we are, we can certainly engage in. And Sam, not to tokenize you as the undergraduate in the room, but how successful do you think your peers are at managing their stress? I mean, I think it's it's definitely important to note, like we've talked about, that stress is unique for everybody, but it's also universal, that nobody's not stressed, and that there are good forms of stress and bad forms of stress. I think it's important these days to note that you can't avoid certain stressful things. I think the news cycle for me is a really omnipresent source of stress that you can't really avoid and you can't really control. So no matter how your politics stand or how you feel about the virus, there's news about it, and that's stressful. It's just part of life. I think it's less about recognizing that everybody has stress because everybody does. It's more about how you handle it. And so from my perspective, handling stress for me is, for the news, I only consume a little bit of news every day, and I have to limit how much I consume because otherwise it's stressful and that's just not productive for me. Everybody is on a spectrum of how well they handle that stress in different ways. So for me, I'm pretty good at handling my news stress. I'm still working on handling my academic stress in a perfectly productive way, and I think everybody's somewhere on that spectrum of working towards that for sure. I think a good segue is, you know, what can we do to manage stress to, uh, to help our immune system stay optimal like we were talking about earlier? Well, gosh, there are so many things. Dr. Falcon, did you want to comment on some of those? Yeah, so, so there's definitely a lot of things you can do. I mean, I think, again, like there's not all stress is bad, right? And like Sam is saying, you have to have some insight, right? What are the things that stress me out? And then you try to compartmentalize those and you deal with it in the moment and then you move on or you cut back from certain stressors. But I think it's important, right? So if you have some sort of academic stressor, you, you know, in the moment you deal with it and then you have to step away and take time to spend with a friend. You know, we know that people who are socially connected, they live longer, you know, they have less disease and they, their immune systems function better. Other things you can do is get some physical activity. And we say it all the time. I mean, it's just the basics. You know, if you don't have your physical health, your mental health, it doesn't matter if you get a 4.0 at William & Mary, you're really going to suffer in that, in that regard. So you have to get physical activity, you have to sleep, and you have to eat nutritionally dense foods. You know, you can't sustain yourself on coffee and junk food 
because your body's going to shut down. So just the basics. If you meet those basics, you're going to be way ahead of the game. It's funny. I was talking with Stephanie May this morning, our, our registered dietitian, trying to see if she had like that one little food thing. And she said, Eric, it's all about just being consistent, finding those things that are good and consistent. There's not one instant thing that's going to do it for you. You need to have that constant intake of nutritionally dense food. You know, it's how, how we fuel ourselves, how we train ourselves. Those things are just vital. How we rest, how we hydrate. A colleague of mine is a real big fan of just the whole concept of moderation as well. You know, I mean, I think there are so many things that we you know associate with people who manage stress well. And Dr. Falcon hit on a lot of them. But I think if you think about people who tend, they tend to be structured people, but they tend to be flexible people. So a lot of times they'll have a routine, a daily routine, not necessarily one that's set in stone or one that sort of gets them frazzled if they don't get it done exactly that same way that day. But a lot of times people who I think manage stress they sleep enough, right? They have a bedtime. They kind of stick to the bedtime. They wake up at a certain time. They may exercise at a certain time of day, or at least get some kind of regular exercise on a regular basis. They eat a healthy diet. It may not be an extreme diet, and they may eat from a number of different food groups, but like Dr. Falcon said, they choose healthful choices on average and don't consume excessive amounts of any one particular type of food. You know, they tend to focus on nurturing relationship. And Sam brought up a really good point. There's study after study shows that if you turn off the news, if you turn off social media, if you unplug from some of this smart technology, stress levels go down, blood pressure goes down, general life satisfaction goes up. So it's so important that, you know, we use that technology in the way that it was intended, but not allow it to sort of manage our lives. We need to manage it, not be managed by it. But I do think that people who create a sense of a routine structure, but also understand the concept of flexibility and moderation, I think do really well rolling with the slings and arrows that are thrown at them from life stressors in general. And I think it's important too that you don't have to make it complicated. Like people think, oh, and I have to exercise, I have to join a gym, but it's the time of COVID. We live on such a beautiful campus, like just go outside for 15, 20 minutes, get your heart rate up, spend some time in the sunshine, take a walk with a friend with your mask on. It really is a beautiful campus. I walk through this campus, you know, every weekend with my dog and it just really does relax you and calm you. And it's a, it's a really great place to de-stress. I'm constantly reminded by students of the acronym, the TWOMP, right? The typical William and Mary person. And that's something that a lot of students will tell me, Dr. DeFalcon, is it's either all or nothing. If I can't go to the gym for four hours, if I can't run a half a marathon, then you know, taking a walk or parking a little further away and kind of walking to the grocery store, those little things matter, right? And so the idea of doing something halfway or getting a little bit of exercise or a little bit of a mental break, you know, I think for a lot of William Mary students, they struggle with that concept of just a little version of something that they think needs to be a huge all or nothing effort. So it's really important to remember that those little walks under the trees, that's not quite the same as jogging eight miles, but there's cardiovascular, aerobic, and mental health benefits that are vast. I think that's a good example of moderation. I think framing it in a frame of moderation is important for me. When I think of diet and exercise, it's unrealistic to say that I'm going to go work out for an hour and eat salad every day because that's just not who I am. My moderation is I bike twice a week at least, and I eat three meals a day. And that doesn't mean I'm the model of health, but I'm working towards it. And that's better than nothing. So for me, if I can get three meals in the day and I've gotten outside each day, gotten a bike ride in a couple times a week, to me, that's enough moderation to reduce my stress and to do other things. Yeah. I don't know this to be a fact, but I don't think many centenarians are perfectionists. I really don't believe that. I think centenarians, te- you know what I mean? I, I, I believe that there are people who, who take what's thrown at them and they make the best of it. And so Sam's raised a great point. It's you do what you can and you be the healthiest version of yourself at that time without demanding that everything be exactly a certain way. It's good um, enough. 
Yeah. It's yeah, good enough is good enough. But our social connections, our physical activity, and our diet are really great ways to boost it. Anything that we should be avoiding when we're thinking about optimizing our immunity. I would say extreme behaviors that are unhealthy, pulling all-nighters. It's so unhealthy. And study after study shows your retention's worse. Your performance will be worse on a test that you stayed up all night to study for than one that you've gotten adequate sleep for. So I would just say the big thing is avoid total sleep deprivation. That's probably the number one health problem in our country. A third of adults have hypertension, and we know that sleep deprivation drives blood pressure up. So I would say certainly sleep deprivation would be one thing I would try to fix. And the other thing is, yeah, don't allow social media, the news and smart technology to replace the nurturing relationships of your friendships and your family. And then also a lot of people turn to substances to self-medicate, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, marijuana, prescription drugs, things like that. It's just not a a good idea to do those things because, you know, they may feel good in the moment, but long-term they're going to affect your immune system and not really do you much good. It's unlikely to say that people aren't going to drink in college, but if you do it moderately and safely, that's important. If you drink a lot of coffee, it's not as good as drinking a little coffee. It's something that's good, but over-caffeinating is not going to help stress. So everything in moderation, giving yourself credit to say that I'm maybe not going to stop drinking coffee entirely. That's not realistic. But not having four Red Bulls and a cup of coffee every day is probably going to help your stress. You know, I think of health, you know, the definition of health is homeostasis, which is, you know, things in a balance. And I think the healthier that you are, you know, you've got a ceiling and a floor that you can accept some of these pieces of stress that come in there, but not these peaks and these valleys. So if the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is just overload your system with caffeine, or the last thing you do at night is overload your system with news, You're doing these peaks and valleys things, so having that homeostatic balance, I think, would be ideal. Access William & Mary Health & Wellness online at www.wm.edu backslash wellness or download the William & Mary Wellness app.